You are listening to Circle of Hope's Sunday Meeting Podcast. This talk was given at 2007 Frankfurt Avenue. For more information, visit us at circleofhope.net. I've been telling people that I, uh, I basically realized recently that I dropped out of listening to uh, new music once pirating music became a thing of the past. Somehow in the early 2010s, I couldn't get music the way that I used to get it, and so I stopped listening to new music. You know, I, I uh, grew up uh, listening to music via Napster. Do you guys, anyone know what this is? Anyone familiar with this? 20 years ago. I mean, it was a long time ago, 1999. And I used to, I, I would download music and burn them onto CDs and then play the CDs in the car, right? That's a, this, this might seem like a long time ago. It was. It took, it, I was. And that's when I stopped. When that became out of fashion, I stopped listening to new music. So once the technology changed and we moved to streaming services, this is, this is only nine years later, but it felt like a long time to me. I stopped paying attention to new music. And my family recently got me a, um, Apple Music, so I have access to all of the music of my past and all the music that's being made now. And I've reconstructed my library. And I could tell where the uh, gap happened, where because the artists kept making music, and now I'm catching up to the music that my favorite artists have made. And so I've been listening. But I've also been listening to music uh, that I listened to in high school, and it, that's been both uh, terrible and nostalgic at the same time. So there's something that happens when I listen to these old songs that meant something to me a long time ago, and then there's some shock that like, oh wow, I liked this music a long time ago. This is not very good at all. And so a lot's changed, but it's, it's a kind of an amazing thing to think about how music, at least for me, helps helped me uh, helped form me as a as a kid, as a teenager, and now with more grown up eyes, I can look back at the time and how I was shaped and formed. And it kind of for me, the whole thing speaks of like the power of music in general. It helps me to uh, think about the non essential. Uh, essentiality of music, like it isn't that um, crucial for us. To, it's not necessary for our survival. It isn't something that we readily need to stay alive. But it's clearly important. I think it's important for humankind, right? Important for humanity. So it's a, it's, there, there, there hasn't been a single human culture in all time that hasn't had music as part of it. So it's, it's mysterious, it's wonderful, something unusual is happening. And I don't know if I get to think about this much, but I, I thought about it today. What would my life, what would our lives be like without music? And I asked my friends this on, on social media and someone said, well, that, it would at least be boring. Another person said, I can't even imagine such an existence. Can't even imagine movies. You know, there's so many things that are affected by this. Um, someone said it would be a terrible existence. <laughs> and one of my friends put it aptly. She said, it would be terribly quiet. It would, that would be a terribly quiet, empty world that would remove sounds that can soothe and calm or just bring beauty to the world, along with lyrics 
that express just about every idea possible. Music often speaks better for me than I do. And it would leave a huge hole in our ability to connect with God as well. I really liked that thoughtful uh, comment someone made, so I wanted to share it with you. You know, I don't think we're all into music as much as other people have, or maybe you don't think you're really into it, but you know, stopping and thinking about what, what life would be like without it, and you can extrapolate this to all sorts of creative art, but I wanna talk about music tonight. I think, I think at least life would be banal. You know, like, like food without salt. Like a, like a wor world without um, color. Like a planet that doesn't have different seasons, different experiences. And I think that's the point of music. It puts to sound things that seem maybe absurd to say otherwise. It unlocks something inside of us. It allows us to express ourselves in a new way. All of that is deadened, I think, in our time and place for a variety of reasons. Like when we begin to assess music. You know, say what you will about critics. I happen to like reading critics, but I think the over-the-top and competitive nature of music preferences and, and the intellectual and sometimes moral superiority that it comes to whatever you find as good music, that's, there's, 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 something that it, there's something that's undone when we get into this competition about what the best music is. Um, have you ever heard of this blog? This was today's uh, front cover of the blog. Um, and you guys know, you know Pitchfork? It's a famous uh, music criticism blog. And some of us like it because it gives us good music recommendations. But it's kind of made a name for itself about uh, being able to make or break a musician's career. So sometimes it can read as pretentious or verbose or uh, self-referential. And if that sounds like some of your music friends, it's because it is. So like, they're, 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 they're connected. And even though I use it sometimes, I would, I, would, I would feel very protective if my friend got a record reviewed on it. I would feel defensive because um, it can be painful to receive negative feedback about something that's so tied to who you are. You know, Pitchfork, aptly named, right, can impale a musician and it can be hurtful. So um, with this, and this isn't just this publication's fault, um, but when music becomes another thing that we evaluate or consume, it kind of gets commodified, objectified with a number as if the uh, narcissistic 500-word essay isn't enough, right? It strips humanity from the artist and, and maybe even positions the critic as more important, you know? Maybe we should have a blog that reviews other blogs, right? Like, give the critic, give the critic a taste of the, of, the, of the medicine, as it were. And we actually might, you know? The Onion came out with this story. This is 2007, so I've been, I've been watching this story for a long time. Um, Pitchfork reviews music as 6.8, right? Music, a mode of expression consisting of sound and silence expressed through time, I appreciate that definition, was given a 6.8 out of 10 rating in a review published Monday on Pitchfork Media, a well-known music criticism website. According to the review, authored by Pitchfork editor-in-chief Ryan Schreiber, the popular medium that predates the written word shows promise, but nonetheless <laughs> leaves the listener wanting more. I, I like the humor, love the idea. I think it's very funny, um, you know, because the music that inspires us 
and unites us is like unrateable. You're not supposed to do that with it, right? But then again, how often does that happen? Contemporary musicians often have created a product to be rated, right? Whether it's a hipster's critique of it, or whether or not they can sell a, a venue in a certain amount of time, or how much money they make on their tour, or how many shows they can do, 100 shows in 90 days or something like that, earn a Grammy Award, get enough radio time to be recognized. And so the, uh, a, as brutal and arbitrary as a critic's voice is, it's, it's, not, it's, not, it's no more so than art made into commodity that today's music is often like. So music does so much more for us that can be reduced to a rating, but you can see how uh, commodification, making it into a product that's sellable, kind of makes it submissive to a different thing, a different economic form. You know, music is so much more than that. You know, it causes us to celebrate, causes us to revolt at times, to express longing, romance, power, transcendence, hope, all these things that music does, this, this existential quality that it has, right, can't just be reduced down to a, an essay saying whether it's good or bad, as if you could do that to someone's art. But more than just economics dominating how we think about it, so has uh, stately powers. You know, leave it up to the European and it changes m music again, right? And there was a time before like Beatlemania and Elvis even, right, before the radio told you what to listen to. A time in Europe particularly where aristocrats dominated the music landscape and only special, highly educated people were producing music. So we, and, and we appreciate a lot of this classical music today that came out of uh, that continent, sometimes because it's lasted this long. And for good reason, I think classical music has a strong element of emotion and longevity to it. Um, and it shows something about the power of music in general, so I'm not knocking it. But it would be kind of ludicrous to start scaling it on a 10-point scale, right? But I don't want you to be fooled because these musicians had privilege and fortune to get them where they were. You know, Haydn, Mozart, Beethoven, something of a clique even. And for the most part, these pieces that they wrote were co-opted by the state and the church. And when I say state, I mean government. And used for nationalistic ends. Even songs that changed the world were still used by the state. Here's the perfect example of how that happened. Let's play the uh, French national anthem here. Familiar with this? This isn't ours. In 1792, <laughs> I didn't mean for it to sound like that, but I'm just gonna go with it. This French song was written and it was the first European march song written and it literally led the peasants three years later to revolt, to overthrow the uh, aristocracy in France and cause the French Revolution, right? The king was dead, there was something happening, and this song helped bring about the revolution. And that song, this song literally changed the world. We're done. And the, the heads of state were so bent on that not happening again, after they created the public, they made this song their national anthem, right? Something changed about the quality of the song because now it's a tool of the state and not a tool to subvert the state. So it's, it, they, they, uh, they militarized it. 
right? That's, that's, that's what we're working with. So the state actually got something the church now doesn't get. The state used music that could inspire us to bring the kingdom of God here for its own purposes, right? There's something about the nationalist uh, hymns that we sing that, have a, that showcase the power of music. You know, that unity that comes from a, 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 a stadium singing the national anthem or God bless America. In many ways, in our, in our current expressions of the church is unparalleled. You know, we don't have a uniting experience like that. You know, the, the, the song defines the tribe. You know, for the most part, when it comes to music that we use for worship, we rate it like Pitchfork rates it. And why wouldn't we? And why shouldn't we, right? It's produced and marketed and sold in precisely the same way as pop music, right? That's the, that's the contemporary Christian music scene. That's how it's working. So why wouldn't I treat it like I treat anything else? You know, but for me, I like listening to pop songs, top 40 radio, like their worship. You know, I like to hear the latest psalms that are coming from the industry and try to sort out what, what kind of message they're giving us. Or less cynically, what the artists themselves are channeling. What's happening? What's, what are we receiving? What's it like? You know, music is, expre is expressive and descriptive. And so I don't try to come up with principles or prescriptions what to do and how to do it. I'm listening for what are they describing, what are they expressing, and how does it work? So I want to share with you, these are the top three songs in the country right now, I was gonna do five, but the fifth best song in the country, the fifth most popular song in the country right now is by Post Malone, and so I didn't wanna play Post Malone today. So you're only getting three artists, okay? Just a full disclosure about why I picked that number. Um, so if you listen to Top 40 Radio, here's Khalid Talk, and I had to look up how to pronounce his name because I wanted to say Khalid or something. Make it a little louder. Can we do it? You know the song? I don't. I, I have to. I have to superimpose my understanding of what it's about as I'm listening to it. I don't really know all the all the details here, but it sounds like there's some sort of relationship where he's asking somebody to talk, right? I think that's. I think that would be. The, that's the. That's the. That's the. At least the hook here. Um, probably a romantic partner, and they want some dialogue and connection. And I sing, yeah, I want to talk. I, I'm with you. And there's something about putting it to music that makes it a little easier to express, right? Music is supposed to be vulnerable. And so even when you're not bold enough to be vulnerable with your words, you can sing a song and it can express your vulnerability for it. There's an emotive quality to music that allows you to be vulnerable when you sing it. Um, so that, that, that's what I was experiencing. Here's another one. Here's, a, here's a Sucker by Jonas Brothers. This is the second, number two song this week.
I don't know what all the subliminal things are, but he, this, is a, this is a different take. It's another romantic song, right? Are you with me? Are you interpreting it along? You can, you can, you can critique my interpretation if you want. Um, I think it's another love song. In this case, it's sort of contrary to Khalid, where they're talking about being madly in love. They'll go anywhere blindly. They'll follow each other anywhere, right? Um, they're talking about, uh, you know, Khalid's talking about figuring it out, talking about where we're growing, where we're going, right? This is a deeper sense of infatuation. Something different's happening. You're changing who I am, right? You're letting the typical me break the typical rules that I have. Something's different that's happening to me in this song. And so again, another emotive, expressive song, maybe showing you something that you don't, or, or allowing you to say something in a way that you wouldn't normally say it. Because if you just said this in a serious way to somebody, you might look ridiculous. And so there's something about singing it that allows you to be a little bit more emotional about it. And then here's the third song I wanted to share with you. There's Ed Sheeran. These are terrible people, by the way. I'm sorry, I, I, I hate to show you them. Ed Sheeran stresses me out. I, I, uh, Ed Sheeran, Justin Bieber. I don't know why they can't fit in at a party, but they can't. They go to, they, so there's a, it's hard to relate because you're the celebrity. Of course, you, uh, you, you, you're singing about something that I can relate to, but I don't even know if you can relate to it, right? But there's something that's happening there where they're saying, no, I found, again, it's a love song, right? So again, we're learning something about what's popular, right? where they're finding who they are, they, they're finding who they're becoming in the partner that they have. This isn't, so this, this sermon isn't about love or marriage or dating or anything like that, right? It's about music. But there's something emotive, again, happening here. They're being found. Something vulnerable is happening. There's a desire expressed to be known, to be connected with, to be loved, right? And so all of these things are happening. Here are the top three songs. A lot of love, dialogue, infatuation, connection, wanting to be known, right? I have to admit that the, uh, the emotionality of the songs is much more powerful than the rationality. And so I wanted to just read you the lyrics, but you have to put them to music because they don't work on their own. They work with the song, right? The song does something. The, 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 the melody does something to what you're saying and what you're experiencing. You know, these, these are the, in the first week of July, these are the top three songs in the country. And, the, and, and they are, especially this one, right? They're summer songs. They're, they're, they have a different um, quality to them. They're exciting, they're romantic, they're positive, they have possibility. 
Lots of emotional themes that we can connect to, and they deliver an emotion and an experience to us. And sometimes that experience and that emotion gets so lodged in our minds, it reshapes us. That's why when, we, when, when I listen to music that I used to love, like I was sharing about to begin with, we remember, we reconnect, something, is, something happens to us. You know, music can leave an imprint on us that's unique and special and does so in a way that other modes of expression don't. And, and these songs above are designed to get nailed into your mind so that they're recognizable, right? That's, that's, that's pop music. And there's some, there's some uh, art that goes along with that too. But because of how fast these songs turn over, we lose kind of the meditative quality of music and the power that it can have. Because I don't want to be too critical, but what we hear very popularly moves rapidly, right? It's, it, it, it's, it's, a, it's a throwaway type of thing. And so a lot of work is being put into a product that gets reshuffled every year. And you're supposed to keep up with it. It's hard to do it. You know, there's a reason why um, people like me stop listening to new music because we've already collected enough for like our whole life. You know, we, we've, we, 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 we've meditated with these songs and they've, and they've had an imprint on us. You know, how we use songs to worship can mimic this, right? Most of our contemporary worship music is reduced down to, I think, some hymns that have lasted this long. Like, you know the very popular hymns that we sing um, that are hundreds of years old that you probably would recognize. Those are like the best ones to come out of the era. You know, Charles Wesley wrote hundreds of hymns. Most of them aren't good enough to be sung anymore. Some of them are, and we sing those. And so they, they have such a huge sound, and, and they, have an emo they demand an emotional response. I love those songs. And they generate a special experience. Um, but then you have a lot of people writing songs like this about Jesus, where Jesus is your romantic partner. You've heard these type of songs, too. And, 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 and I, I'm at peace with it because they're channeling exactly what is popular, what works. So there's, there's a missionary type of quality to meeting the culture where they are, right? Engaging the culture, that's what they're doing. So I'm not, I don't want to be too judgmental of that. Um, but one of the reasons I bring this up, and this is why writing songs is exciting for us. We sang a lot of music tonight that was originally written here by people even in this room. You know, we're very humble, so we don't tell you who wrote them, but people sitting right next to you wrote the songs that uh, you sang tonight. It's pretty cool. Um, but it, because it gets us to relate and connect to God personally, and it leads others to do the same. The art of making music and then embracing it as a community, something special is happening there, you know. And, and when we stumble along together, and we don't get the words right or the tune right, or depending on which team is up here, the melody of the song changes, so it's hard to keep track of how the, how the original music is working. I, I don't mind that, because I, I want to do it together as a community. It's hard. We're working it out together. And there's power in that. There's power when we sing the same songs that are characteristic and that embody um, who we are, right? That, that, that change our faith from being something that's individual to being something that's together. We're singing a song we wrote together, we learned together. And, 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 and there's something communal that's happening, there's something beautiful that's happening there. That's also why we sing songs in other languages. It helps us to realize that our community isn't just local, it's global, and how the kingdom of God and the body of Christ is alive and we're bringing it 
So singing both old and new songs and listening to new music and figuring out how are we going to keep using music to its fullest kind of power and potential, right? It helps us to see the whole body of Christ. I think that's why music is so central to our faith, right? The songs of the prophets, the psalms of David, they're important and they guide us to worship God among the ever-present spirit, right? To what Jesus is doing next. Music, like art in general, helps us express something within us that's too complicated or too unknowable for words alone. There's something mysteriously divine about music. There's something unique about it and the way that it helps us connect in a new way to each other and to God. There's something deeply human about it too. And something that sets us apart in a sense. Art is a really interesting human characteristic. So even the simplest ideas can be communicated in a way that's much more beautiful and powerful in music. And there's a sort of eternality to music and a longevity that exceeds more common ways of relating. And I want to emphasize that point because we move through music too quickly. So many of our modes of expression are throwaway that I think music can give us something that's more relatable and more long-lasting. And I wish we had an opportunity to savor it for longer and create space for when that's happening, when that happened. I want to share a psalm with you before we end. There's 151 psalms in the middle of the Old Testament, and I was reminded again today that they, uh, sometimes the psalms of David and the psalms that are in the Bible were reappropriated pagan psalms to other gods, and they changed, they changed the world to kind of point them to uh, the Hebrew god. So that's a really interesting idea, and it kind of makes me moved to like rewrite the Justin Bieber song for God. So if that happens, the psalmist inspired me. That's, that's how I feel. But, but, but there's something artistic about what's happening there. They're taking the best of what's around them and using it. So if you, if you look at this psalm, it's a love song to God, to, 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 to God from David. And it has a delicate translation because they're trying to, translating psalms is hard because they're trying to preserve the poetry of the psalm. They can't just translate it one to one. They have to preserve more than just the meaning of the psalm because the poetry of the psalm is part of its meaning. And so I want to read it with emotion, with connection. And it, 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 it might feel and this is why it's helpful to listen to pop music as silly as a pop song because of the flowery language the psalmist uses to describe God and how he relates to God. Because it's so emotional, it might take you somewhere you wouldn't normally go. You might not be able to sing the songs we just listened to because they're too removed from reality. And David's idealism here, this is a psalm of David, may be too much for you. But allow the song to penetrate your reticence, though, your hesitation. Let it impact you. And this, this is important, especially for the, for the logical and the scholarly among us who might overthink the psalm. Try not to do that here. Just receive it. Somebody out loud, read this psalm of David from Psalm 25. To you, O oh Lord, I lift my heart, my God, and you I trust. Let me be not let my enemies not gloat over me. Yes, let all who hope in you be not shaped. Let the treacherous be shamed, empty-handed. Your ways, O Lord, inform me. Your paths instruct me. Lead me in your truth and instruct me, for you are the God of my rescue. And you do I hope every day.
May we uh, face and consume music in the same way, right? The psalm is meant to be repeated. It's meant to be redundant. It's meant to be part of the echo of your life. So with a sort of redundancy and repetition, may this psalm, like all the other music that we listen to, um, implant on your heart. Maybe even changes the cynic in us. The one that won't sing or dance, right, when they're, when they're moved. The one that might never utter these words if they weren't set to music. You know, may we as a community then put to music the things that seem too expressive to be merely imprisoned in prose. May our voices and melodies season the earth like salt seasons food. Let's pray and do some talk back, shall we? Thank you, Lord, for your presence and your faithfulness to us, for the giving us this way to express ourselves and express our love for one another and for you. Um, may we keep looking for how it's impacting us and impacting the people around us. Amen. Thanks for listening to Circle of Hope's Sunday Meeting Podcast. If you want to talk about it or get connected to a cell, you can find one under our Connect drop-down at circleofhope.net.